welcome to our Spotlight podcast series. Listen along as we catch up with members of our community. We're joined in this edition of our Spotlight content by Arthur and Lee, who will introduce themselves momentarily. And this uh, topic, this podcast is around creativity and playfulness and humour in coaching and the journey that that's taken Arthur and Lee on. So over to you, Arthur. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I'm the coaching educator part of this collaborative partnership uh, with Lee and is really in keeping with a long journey that I've been on exploring the use of creativity in both the practice of coaching, but also in the courses that are run at University of the West of England. And Lee? So I'm probably newer to this, but I am the coaching practitioner in this process and really keen to collaborate with Arthur on this to add uh, more content to the to the field, really, in general, which is you know a good thing to do for coaching, I think. Um, and secondly, to kind of ensure that we are able to make it more practical. Thanks, both of you. So, as you said, Arthur, you're maybe coming at this from more of an, a coaching educator angle and Lee from a, a practitioner. Um, but I think, would you be happy to sort of give a bit of background as to how this has come about? And, and like I said, maybe the journey that you've been on. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I, when I um, undertook my doctorate, which was a DBA, a doctorate in business administration, I thought I was looking at leadership, but I actually stumbled upon creativity as a means of both a, a vehicle for educating or education, but also as a, a lighter way in which we could work um, as a coach or mentor, so individually with a, with another person. And I, and I bumped into several philosophers. Um, most of them were all dead, but uh, I still bumped into them along the way. And one of them struck me, uh, Johan Hoitzinger, who's a, uh, a Dutch philosopher born in or active in the 1930s. And he talked about human beings being playthings, uh, by which he meant in several of his published books that we have an innate uh, ability to play, which often is lost in adulthood, but is abundantly clear in children or most children. And it struck me that that was. Um, if you could incite some degree of playfulness in a coaching setting or in an educational setting, it would be more productive in that sense. And I suppose the only bit of coaching theory that works with this is that most coaching theories talk about the the process of building rapport as a necessary means of getting to a place where you can do some more interesting work, I guess, rather than just following a rigid model. I guess I, it takes me back to when I first met you, Arthur, and you were sitting there with your odd coloured socks and um, in the classroom, and I was <laughs> recipient of of some of your, uh, you know, the knowledge. And um, I thought, oh, this is odd. You know, I'm here thinking about coaching, and uh, already there's some rapport happening in the room, and nothing's been said. You know, this is a guy with odd coloured socks. And uh, to support what you're saying, the flavour of the, the the way that the course progressed. There was a great deal of creativity in there and it got me thinking about humour because there was a lot of light heartedness in there. And, and I remember writing to you and saying, hey, Arthur, have you ever you ever thought about writing a paper on humour and coaching? And uh, you wrote back and said, yeah, shall we? <laughs> and I thought, oh, <laughs> hang on a minute here. 
Um, so that's kind of how it started, I guess. And it's taken us to all sorts of places. We've had many conversations over the time. Um, and for me, I recognise that part of my practice, there were elements of that which were humorous and playful. So it's a way to test out, I guess, you know, and this is what we've done over time is to the appropriateness of that in the coaching arrangement. From my point of view, and I think probably people would share this, coaching is a very human endeavour. It's about being human as far as possible. And humour and playfulness are actually part of everyday life. There's a great deal of humour in in in, in work and, uh, and in life. So, I mean, that's where we started. So we decided that that's where we would start. And of course, that's the purpose of often writing in, in a collaborative sense is to draw out some of the understanding of what's going on almost minute by minute. And one of the things we, we I think we talked about quite a lot was the way in which coaching and mentoring is a serious business, but, but benefits from a lightness of touch. And we talked about that kind of idea of, of lightful playfulness. And I suppose it struck us that, that there were um, examples of this, you know, in the seriousness of if you've ever worked in the hospital, that, that um, it's a serious place to be, but the conversations are very often very light and very jokey. But in our exploration of the paper, if you remember, Lee, we, we, were, we, we got a bit worried about some of the aspects of things like uh, banter and so on. Uh, and we worried a little bit about how do you differentiate between the, the playfulness and humour when some of it can be, it's like sarcasm, very damaging to people's confidence. And I like the way in which we kind of, we, we move this between each other, you know, so, so that um, you gave me uh, some examples of comedians, uh, I, I seem to remember, which um, and, and struck the way in which we uh, were able to take from comedians how humour works. And I suppose one of the recent examples is, is the idea of, of humour gives you a, a motif. So I'm using the word motif as an artist might use them, sort of a reoccurring theme, I suppose. And coach, I, I met a friend of my, my son's recently and we were in uh, on on holiday um, somewhere where there are lots of goats and olive olive, olive trees, and somehow the other the, his friend didn't know me, so we were having a kind of a, a building rapport moment. And um, I told him that I'd been in Palestine uh, a few years ago picking olives, and I said the one thing that the Palestinians tell you, the farmers tell you, is that to pick olives you need to know how to milk goats. It's something to do with the hand movement, you know, the cut <laughs> from top to bottom. And uh, my son's friend said, oh, he said, I've never really thought about that. He said, I don't know how to milk a goat either. And so for the rest of the day, and I was with him for most of the day, this little motif of is that like milking goats became a kind of light touch. And I suppose one of the things we thought about in the, these, the motif as a hook is that it also gives you an opportunity to remember what we did on that particular day and that particular subject. Well, you're never going to eat olives again, are you, without being taken back to the, the kind of the milking goats thing. But the, I think the important thing about that is that it does create a hook and a memory that is there between, in, in the example that you've given, two people. And I think that's important in, the, in relation to coaching, because often you're in a one-to-one -one relationship with somebody and things come up. Things that are actually just between you, if you like. And what you've just described, Arthur, is a, is a kind of meaning making moment. You know, the, the, it was around picking olives and 
various things but actually now the the, the goat milking has got a, a different meaning you know other people looking in would not understand what you meant at all but between you you understand there's something there that wasn't there before and i think that that's partly what we were picking up so you know i yes i've got some examples of things in coaching arrangements where there have been gestures that have been used for example you know i remember somebody describing somebody who was trying to be you know really purposeful and they were kind of doing this chopping movement with their hand and you know and and i i in in the in the moment was saying so what what is this chopping movement and and we kind of started laughing about it but after that um the the coaching sessions took on the name of shall we do some chop chop and chop chop you know doesn't mean anything uh, outside of that arrangement but it gets you very quickly into the memory of what you were talking about and then you know it has a meaning it doesn't really matter what that meaning is but the the point is it can it can you know accelerate what we sometimes talk about is the liminal process that in-between process that you're coming into the coaching session to you know establish um how quickly you can you know maybe get somebody ready for coaching or to bring you back uh, you know online again or just to kind of lift keep that lightness in the conversation if you understand what i mean so we call them hooks didn't we from time to time yeah as a way to kind of create new meaning in in a, in a one-to-one conversation and then the question is of course how far you know how how comfortable are the uh the coach and coachee or for want of a better word to to take to take those things forward and what what value are they adding maybe that's where we should go next what value does that add to the to the practicality of the coaching arrangement yeah i think um you made me think a bit about um, firstly the paper that we wrote together published in December of last year, so quite recently in the um, Coaching Psychology Journal, um, explores some of these ideas. Uh, and and really what we were asked by the editor was, well, is this a theory paper or a practice paper? And we said it's sort of, well, it's neither. It's an exploratory paper because when we looked at the literature, there was not a lot, very little really, around this very important part of, of coaching practice. And I suppose the the two things that you reminded me of really, uh, Lee, is firstly that the coaching, particularly the executive coaching world, can still be highly dominated by the idea of a model. And the model, many listeners will be familiar, I guess, with the with the model grow, has a kind of very rigid feel to it, a kind of a processy, you know, you start at G and you end with O. No, you end with W, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. See, I've, I've, I've modelled it. Um, is is that you get, and then an hour and a half's gone, and then the person goes off and does something and brings it back to to grow again. And and we didn't think that coaching should be a rigid process. The second thing you mentioned was the idea of liminality. And many of our colleagues, of course, in the uh, organisational studies cluster are interested in liminality, particularly around leadership. And it's often quoted that it's uh, liminality is, what is it, uh, neither here nor there. And that, too, has a kind of rigidity to it, you know, because it's based on anthropological studies that say that human beings need a little bit of ritual, a space in which to move from one place to the other, and then a little bit of ritual to come out the other side. In another recent paper with um, Peter Case and Harriet Short talked about which I think is is quite good, sort of um, uh, fluid liminality. So I think the the idea that we're pitching about playfulness and humour is what they are talking about in terms of fluidity. So instead of perceiving coaching as being 
a rigid bounded activity it becomes an emergent activity whereby you're going to bubbling a little fluidity and of course it immediately brings you back to goat's milk you know that, that kind of idea of <laughs> the flow between one thing and the other so mm. I, one one in which one of the crucial parts of this is is exploration into a subject rather than the learning of a subject and I think that also gives us a clue about the clients that we might work with and the way they might open up their minds to the possibility of something different. I think that it's, it is interesting because also we've explored John Cleese's work and, you know, his own theory around how to write very creatively, almost to the absurd, really, in some senses. And yet somehow that kind of absurdity has had some longevity. And there is a he he has his own kind of ritual, you know, about making time and using time. But he talks about open and closed processes. Being open is actually enabling yourself to be in a playful mode, because what he says is if you're playful, nothing can go wrong. You know, you remember when you were children and you're playing and you're you know, running around and all right, you might fall over and scrape your knee, which is a bit serious. But actually, the game itself has rules that you change as you move through the game. And to some extent, that I think is where we were exploring with coaching, that the rules are, you know, are negotiated and developed as you you move forward and creativity and the idea that playfulness means that nothing can really go wrong in that space because it, it is an open, trusting space is is important. And then you shift from that open space into what then he calls the closed space, which is then what are you going to do? You know, maybe take some actions in your life and then come back into the coaching process. But that's very fluid because what you're talking about is two people in a conversation, for want of a better word, and I mean that in its broadest sense, exploring together and seeing what emerges, which is very important part of the process because you don't really know. And there's, there is some research that is emerging now to show that when you know what you come into a session with is often not really what the work is. So it's it's how you how you kind of reconcile those things over a period of time. And I think what we're saying is that that open, playful process, if you like, to to use that enables people to um, relax, become more trusting and actually learn about themselves and about, you know, the subject matter in a way which is potentially more beneficial. You know, we, I think we've also talked about, you know, you can have a really serious, you can take a really serious subject and have a lot of humor in the discussion like you might do in a hospital and it, it breaks the cycle of maybe the somberness that you can have you know some subjects are somber but actually you can take the somberness away and and, and be serious and playful at the same time so that's that's kind of where we were going with some of that stuff i think i mean it's interesting i mean i've um recently been with my grandchildren and one of the things i noticed about their you know, the way in which they want to um, induce playfulness all the time now you may say that well this is just typical of, of children you know with uh, unbounded energy to do these things but it struck me also that that children have to do this in a primate way so they're, they're along with our primate cousins we use this as a, a mechanism to learn things or learn how to live learn what how people react to you when you poke them in the eye or whatever it might be and that, that as adults we we've kind of we have lost this in a way that can be very stiltifying. And when I was playing with my, my grandchildren yesterday, you could start a game that seemed to have a, a kind of a, a kind of a structure to it. Um, I like um, Chase and Boo or whatever that game was I played. Um, and that quickly the child will kind of take 
that particular framework and just adjust it slightly and add another little bit of frivolousness or, or play about it. And there, it seems to me that looking at this from a more academic kind of perspective is that they're seeking ways in which they can learn through the medium of humour. And that's, I think, what we concluded. Uh, along, alongside the other thing, uh, you just reminded me, Lee, I think that, that um, humour is a survival aspect so that the, this, you know, unlike chimpanzees who are very well known for being uh, having to make decisions about another chimpanzee they meet in the jungle, you know, split second decision, friend or foe, is that humour, as in the sharing of, of ideas and laughter, induces a, a less um, aggressive tone to relationships and provides an atmosphere whereby information and exchange can go on. So we did touch upon, and not much is written about this either, is the idea that we carry with us as humans, this idea that humour is an important survival factor in the, the development of this and therefore the development of our brains. And I know, Lee, you've got a particular interest in those those kind of two aspects of that, you know, both hmm. um, neurology and, and also your interest in ontological coaching as a kind of hmm. framework for where that playfulness sits. And we bring some of that into the paper. I think we've explored some elements of the ontological uh, experience, you know, what it means to be human and so forth. And I think we discovered that humor has been selected by evolution to help us survive. I think it's to speak because one of the things we discovered about jokes is that the punchline kind of puts two things side by side that you wouldn't otherwise have put together. And, and it makes people laugh. You know, you spontaneously uh, laugh. Uh, and you can't help yourself. So what you're doing is you're seeing something in a different light and you're saying, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way before. And then you're moving on differently. So there's a possibility that humour actually helps us to survive. And there's huge amounts of uh, potential, therefore, in the coaching arrangement to help people um, to see things from a different perspective, because depending upon which school you come from, largely, uh, you know, coaching and, you know, the world of ontological thinking is that we make our own meaning in life it, it, you know it, it's that's how we how we work and you know for leaders for everybody really but for leaders senior executives you, you know you're bombarded with all of the complexity of trying to run an organization with the you know the implications that it has for people keeping a, a perspective and, and getting a different perspective on things is critically important yeah bringing it back to you know some other practical elements i guess there we discovered we think that it, it's good for productivity, that actually the process of experiencing humour, it, it has a has an embodied neurological effect that lifts and generates all the positive chemicals in you. You know, if you if you've had a, a period of of, uh, of laughing, you know, that you, you know that you've been laughing. You know, people cry laughing, don't they? You know, it has a deep physiological effect. And the, that actually, uh, you know, throughout a, a day, if you can, even if it's modest amounts of um, humour, that you take a break and you use this, actually it can really increase productivity. There's, you know, there's research in the paper to show that. And that, you know, it generates a kind of gamma wavy type of whole brain engagement. So that links potentially into some of the more contemporary research around neuroscience, which is becoming increasingly popular in the coaching arena and is definitely worthy of additional uh, research. Because, again, there's an area there which needs uh, look, people are jumping on the bandwagon, but actually it needs more thought.
And just just to 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 finish that off, really, in a sense of uh, thinking about where to go to next. And of course, um, we talk about playfulness and uh, humour as if they were distinct you know, things, but of course they're not. We kind of know this. And one of the things that Lee and I have been talking about is is the role of uh, three things. Firstly, the the idea of improvisation and and uh, executive coaching practice is moving towards the idea that that a good coach is an improviser and uses the same skills as a, a stand-up comedian you know the, the improvising about what is in front of you rather than what you've got scheduled and the two things that really trigger some of this uh, laughter humor playfulness is the idea of gesture and i particularly came conscious of this in a sort of stereotypical way with um, some uh, uh, colleagues from Italy who were laughing a lot about their own gestures and the way in which they spoke with their hands. And also kind of the way in which the tone of voice is really important because we know this from 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 comedians as well, that the, your tone of voice and the way you say things is important to trigger that kind of more looser response. And we are thinking that this is all started with the idea of being light, a light approach to building rapport and offering clients and the coach a motif or a, a hook that helps them both passage their way through the, the coaching, but also pick up in the future the conversation they had even months, even years ago. Uh, very interesting work. Um, and thank you for the opportunity for, for talking about it with you. Oh, you're both entirely very, very welcome. It's been so, so fascinating um, to talk, to hear and hear you um, and, and talking through things and explaining. And it's just, yeah, very, very interesting. And it sounds like we should all be uh, prescribing humour to our teams, I think. And in terms of a hook, you see, this will always be the goat milking podcast <laughs> right, to me now. You see, on every other <laughs> Yeah, but thank yeah. you both so much for your time. And um, we will make the link available so that people, if they're interested in reading more, will be able to uh, find your paper, um, which I'm sure they'll be absolutely fascinated by. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and good luck with you know your further research into this fascinating area. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Spotlight podcast series brought to you by Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol.